So we are in our lovely Thanksgiving, what I would call our Thanksgiving uh, series, calling this Giving Your Thanks Away, and today is called Return to Cinder. That one is for Helen Swanson because she's a big Elvis fan. So this is a true story I'm about to share with you. A South African man surprised nine men who were robbing his home. Eight of the robbers escaped, but the homeowner managed to shove one into his backyard pool. After realizing that the robber couldn't swim, the homeowner jumped into the pool to save him. And once out of the pool, the thief yelled for his friends to come back. Then he pulled a knife and threatened the man who had just rescued him. So he pushed him back into the pool. (laughs) That comes from uh, the Cape Times in Cape Town, South Africa, and that happened in 2004. I thought that was a pretty good segue into what we're going to talk about with this idea of gratitude, right? He wasn't a really grateful guy, was he, for someone saving his life uh, or giving our thanks away. So we talked about this earlier. Actually, Zach talked about this, but there was a challenge, right, that we were supposed to uh, go through this week, notice things uh, each day, document those things in some way, and then share them or act on them. And so if you missed the challenge, if you weren't here, if you missed the message, it's actually on our website. You can check out the podcast. Uh, If you've got iTunes, you can do it through that or whatever your podcasting thing is, whatever your favorite app is. And if you missed out on the whole thing, or maybe you're running behind like I am, I'm actually documenting them. I just haven't been posting very many. So prepare for your barrage this weekend. What I'm saying is it's not too late. If you didn't start this thing, if you didn't hear about it, it doesn't matter. Today, start today doing this. The idea is just going to notice things, something that you're thankful for. You're going to write it down somewhere so that you have it right? But then also share that in some way with other people. It could be through social media or if you just want to go down on the plaza with a bullhorn, whatever uh, tickles your fancy. But one of the big takeaways last week is I was thinking about that message is how essentially gratitude and worship are really the same thing. Gratitude is just another form of worship. And so when we worship, what we're doing is we're saying thank you to God for who he is and what he's done. And so really worship is just acknowledging things that are true about God, right? When we sing, we sing these songs and these words come up on the screen and many of those words are pulled from scripture. And obviously we talk about uh, some of, you know, the struggles or the troubles or the things that we're going through, maybe as people or as a community, which is also scriptural, right? Read Psalms, Lamentations, right? You pick. But then we're also acknowledging things that are true about God, a God who is gracious, a God who is loving, a God who is faithful, through those things. And so earlier when we were singing here in your presence, right, there's something about that getting in like with other people and acknowledging because I believe God's presence is everywhere. We just often fail to acknowledge it. But something special happens when we come together as a community and we acknowledge his presence in a room like this together as our brothers and sisters, right? We're we're expressing our gratitude and we're singing our praises to our king. But here's one of the things that I've just been thinking about a lot lately. Just being in his presence has this ability to change us, has this ability to shape us. 
And maybe you've heard stories of people who in the middle of worship, they might be suffering from something and they're healed from it. Or uh, they have uh, a mental illness of some kind and there's a break in that. Merely just by being in the presence of God and expressing gratitude and worship to him, it has the ability to change us. And we're actually going to see that today in this story. It's in Luke's gospel. He was one of the guys that documented, there's four different guys that documented Jesus' story. Luke's one of them. And he tells this story about, it's kind of a strange encounter. It's kind of weird, this thing that happens. Jesus meets 10 lepers. 10 lepers. And he transforms all of them. So let's check it out. It's in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to start with verse 11. So on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So I don't know how much you guys know about leprosy, but it's bad news. It usually starts with some type of uh, skin issue. And quickly, especially biblical uh, leprosy, uh, your skin starts to deteriorate. Uh, you're, you don't have sensitivity uh, in like your fingers and your hands and those kinds of things go away. It wasn't uncommon for someone to be sleeping and wake up and have some animal gnawing like on their nose or something because they couldn't feel it, right? Leprosy affects your body in that way. So Jesus finds himself traveling with his disciples and he's on the outskirts between two towns. And so I don't often dig into the geography of the Bible, but we're going to do that today for just a second because this is kind of important. It might be easy for us to miss this point because we don't have the context, but in this moment, Jesus is a fugitive of sorts. John 10, uh, 38 tells us that the last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem for Hanukkah, his enemies tried to capture him, but he was able to get away, right? Some pretty cool stories about that in the Bible. We also know that Jesus was being hunted by Herod Antipas in Galilee. And then Jesus also received word that the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were going to have him put to death. That's in John eleven fifty. After they heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And if you'll remember that story, Jesus wanted to go to Bethany. It was too close to Jerusalem. And the disciples were like, dude, if you go there, you're going to die. We can't do that. Jesus, seriously, you need to think this over. But then, interestingly, Thomas, right, the doubter, is like, listen, if he's going to go die, we might as well go die with him. I mean, what else do we got going on? And it's kind of, that's the way it reads. It's pretty interesting. You should check it out. So Jesus, after all these things had happened, he withdrew to this remote village in Judea called Ephraim, and he continued to teach his disciples. He wanted to pour everything that he could into these men and the other men and women that surrounded him at that time. He wanted to give them everything that he could before his time would come, and he knew that that was going to happen soon. So when the time for Passover arrived... Jesus and his disciples returned to Galilee to meet up with their families and to make arrangements for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which was a big deal every year for everybody. They traveled in groups. They traveled mainly for safety, but there was a pilgrimage road that they would walk. This would be Jesus's final journey to Jerusalem before everything would go down. He would be captured. He would be crucified and all of that. And so the path that he's on here, this is why we're going through this geography. The path took them through the Jezreel Valley. Valley, Valerie. I say it all the time. It's such a beautiful name. I just can't help myself. The Jezreel Valley. 
right? They're walking through it. Then they go east to the outskirts between two towns. They're avoiding going into Samaria and they're avoiding going into Galilee. They're walking between these two towns because it's not time yet, right? Jesus doesn't want to be captured. And so the reason they run into this crew of lepers is because they're on the outskirts of the towns. They're not going in. They're on the outskirts and that's where these folks would have been. Leprosy was serious business. People with leprosy were required to live on the fringes of society. They couldn't come into contact with other people, especially with healthy people. And anytime someone was near, they had to alert them to their presence, which is part of the reason why these guys yell this from a distance. They don't go up and say, hey, by the way, I have leprosy. Could you please heal me? No. What they do is, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And one of the other characteristics of leprosy is that your skin starts to dry out. And so you can imagine what this sounded like as their throats were hoarse and raspy. And they probably had to shout even to get these words out. And so as a result of this, colonies of lepers would form on the edges of towns. And it was a shameful existence. It was a sad existence of sickness and rejection. They were banned from regular life. They were banned from contact with other humans. They were even banned from worship in the temple. They couldn't go to synagogue. They couldn't marry. And they were unable to be around their families. Lepers basically said goodbye to the life that they'd lived. And they were bound to this new life of extreme poverty and loneliness. So you have this group of lepers and they stand at a distance and they alert Jesus and the others that are traveling with him to their presence because word had spread about Yeshua, this healer who is traveling in this area. And so their hope was that these rumors that they'd heard were true. So Luke tells us in verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Like, that's pretty interesting to me. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Jesus acknowledged their request with this simple instruction to go and show themselves to the priests. We have other places in scripture where Jesus actually touched a leper, if you remember. So the question you might have today is, well, why? Like, why did he not touch these guys, but he touched this other guy? Well, the simple answer to that question is ritual purity was important to Jesus. Again, he's headed uh, basically to celebrate, to do all these things. In order to go to the temple, he had to be ritually pure. Uh, being like, you know, touching someone like a leper, for instance, was not against the law, but then you had to go through a process of cleansing to do that. And so Jesus, these guys were at a distance and I think it's incredible that it's just the power of his word, right? He doesn't even have to touch these guys. He says, listen, here's all you got to do. Go show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Now here's a sidebar. Sometimes people will talk about uh, Jesus and the things that he did. And they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, he kind of, well, he just really did what he wanted to do. And he sort of just ran roughshod all over God's word and Torah. Like if Jesus didn't want to follow this thing, he didn't have to follow this thing. Or sometimes people will assert that Jesus was trying to establish something that was brand new. But I think it's important for us to note in verses like this, that this instruction for healing comes strict, like straight from the Torah, straight from it. Jesus is like, listen, here's how this works. You're healed. Go show yourselves to the priests so that they can confirm this. It's right from God's word. So the lepers, all of them, by the way, all 10 of the lepers were obedient and they went and they were cleansed. 
Now, we don't know what this looks like. And this is what I've been thinking about. It's like, okay, so how long, how far along the journey did this take for them to realize this? Was it like one step and boom, whoa! Like all of the scales just fall off and their fingers and toes and nose all grow back. Like what happened? That's what I want to know. And like, where did that happen? Did they have to get a ways there? Did they have to get all the way there? We don't know. But it's interesting to think about. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how far. Was it like gradual healing with each step of obedience? I don't know. But I think the greater point here is that they were obedient and a miracle occurred. Sometimes when I talk with people who are struggling with something in their lives, um, maybe they want to change, like something needs to change or they're praying for a miracle. Uh, Maybe they're seeking forgiveness in a relationship. Or maybe they have like a bondage in their lives that they're trying to break and that's the struggle. A lot of times what will happen, at least one of the things that I've observed, is that people will literally put everything on hold in their lives. Everything that has to do with God on hold in their lives in these moments. Uh, They'll withdraw completely from ministries. They will stop hanging out with other people for a while. Uh, Maybe they'll even stop coming to church. That happens sometimes too. Again, these are my observations. And I know that scripture tells us to wait upon the Lord, right? And he will renew our strength. I get that. But I don't think that God ever intends for us to put the things that are of him on hold so that he can deal with another thing. I don't believe that that's the way that it works. Again, I know that there are times that, that, you know, a break from ministry or some kind of thing is warranted. Like if you're going through something hard and I need to step back because I've got too much going on in my life, I get that. But I don't think that God... I think God expects us to just continue like with the day-to-day operation of living for him the best that we can while he works in our lives to deal with whatever the thing is. I mean, it's interesting to me that what we want to do is we often want to isolate ourselves, right? When the healing occurs with God's people often. Just saying, maybe that's a sidebar, maybe it's just me, but I think God expects that we need to keep walking. We need to keep going. We need to not abandon all the stuff that he's already asked us to do. We need to keep charging ahead and let him work through those things because oftentimes that's actually where he works. Like we can sit in a church service or we can listen to messages or we can listen to worship and nothing happens, but then we go and we serve somebody else and we learn so much in that moment When we're just helping somebody else, God says something to us. So I think we need to keep going. Loving others, right? And serving others in the process of that. So it's interesting to me too in this story about the lepers that they saw no signs of healing, no signs of transformation when Jesus gave the command, right? It was only when they took action in faith that they experienced the healing. Notice that? He gives the command. And they turn and they go, and it's only then that it happens. Let's look at Luke uh, 17 again. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Mm. That's exactly how you should read that, (laughs) by the way, because that's the author's intent. Now he was a Samaritan. 
Sometime later, perhaps hours later, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how much time, right, transpired. But we shouldn't assume that it was instantaneous either. Our gospel writer, Luke, drops the punchline to the story. Now he was a Samaritan. This means very little to us. Or it might mean a lot to you because you're probably thinking the Samaritan story that you've heard, the good Samaritan. And in your mind, you're like, oh, well, that's cool because the Samaritan's the good guy. He's the guy that stopped to help. Same punchline, same lesson. No one else stopped, but the Samaritan did, so he's our friend. We put him on the flannel board, and he's the only one of the three that's smiling. That's not how these people would have heard the story. The Samaritans were hated because they were a painful reminder of the Assyrian invasion. The Assyrians came through in the north part of Israel and they took them out. And it was in a moment of crisis for Israel where they're like, God, why are you letting, of course they knew why he was letting it happen, but they're still asking the question, why are you letting this happen? We thought that we were your people. They're enslaving people. They're killing people. I mean, really bad things went down. And so the Samaritans were Jewish people, but what they'd done is they had intermarried with the murderous Assyrians that had inhabited that northern part of Israel, which is a no-no. So they established an illegitimate place and mode of worship. Basically, they weren't worshiping in Jerusalem. They weren't worshiping God the way that he prescribed in the place that he prescribed. They were doing it on their own and in their own way in first century Israel. They were trying to keep the Torah, but they were doing it in their own way and it was not in obedience to God. You should read the history of it. It's pretty interesting. But what makes the story of these 10 lepers so significant is of course that we can assume that nine of them were Jewish and one of them was a Samaritan. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered. Remember he comes back. The Samaritan comes back. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. So that probably reads pretty rough to us. But when Jesus in this text refers to him as a foreigner, that underscores the status that we've been talking about of the Samaritans in Israel. So Jesus gives the command for the lepers to go and show themselves to the priests. Again, more questions. Would the Samaritan have even been allowed to do that? Would he go back to his place? Would that count? I don't know. Best case, if he presented himself in the true temple in Jerusalem, he would have had to swallow hundreds of years of pride, overcome hundreds of years of doing it basically wrong, entrenchment in history, to acknowledge basically, okay, my people have been wrong this whole time, but now I'm healed, so can you just give me the stamp of approval so that I can go live? Again, all the lepers in this story were obedient. I want to point that out. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do and they were healed. But Jesus marvels at this one who returned and I think it's because he acknowledged something significant. He was presenting himself as clean to Jesus. 
something that was reserved, guys, for priests. A priest had to give you the stamp of approval. Only a priest could do that. So he recognizes Jesus as not only responsible for his healing, but he also recognizes Jesus as worthy of declaring him clean. This is big. This is a big moment. So in the past, when I've heard this story taught, it's always been with kind of this punchline that's interpreted as, don't be like those ungrateful Jewish lepers. Or it would be viewed through this erroneous lens of replacement theology with the suggestion that the Jewish lepers were unworthy, but the non-Jewish leper, he's worthy. Guys, here's the point of the story for us. Maybe. We're all lepers. Every one of us. Sorry if that offends you. In the story, we're all lepers. We're a mess. We're dirty. We're disgusting. We're hopeless. We're all on the outside looking in until we meet Jesus. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. We're entitled to nothing and deserving of death. We're all the same in our need for healing, in our need for restoration, in our need for forgiveness, in our need for gratitude. The point of the story in the parable of the Good Samaritan is to illustrate how inappropriate it is for people who've been given everything to be ungrateful. I mean, think about it. The Jewish people, like gratitude is woven into the fabric of their everyday lives. They have a blessing for everything. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's even a blessing for a sewing machine, right? If you've not watched that movie, you need to get busy. It's good. They have a blessing for everything. So if the Samaritan knows enough to express this appropriate gratitude to God for this miraculous healing, how much more should the Jewish people do the same? So what does that mean for us? Well, as Christians in this room, who are grafted into God's plan through Jesus, we guys have every reason to be the most grateful people on this planet. And we suck at it. And I just said that. We suck rocks. Bet you didn't expect to hear that at church this morning. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. But yet we live like it is. We, live, we walk around like we're entitled to something. It's the gift of God. So we have every reason. I'm just going to give you a few, right? Here's the first one. Our righteousness is found in Messiah. It's not us, it's him. Take a look at Luke 17.15 again. I've highlighted something for you. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Christian. I mean, he was a Samaritan, right? So you have the Samaritan leper doing what? Turning. Turning back. Turning toward Jesus. That turning in the story, that's crucial. 
This is where we get the whole idea of a turning point, right? Because things were going this way and then they went this way. If he kept walking, this story is still about 10 people being healed, right? Yeah. But the larger lesson of how he saw Jesus is then lost. The Samaritan saw Jesus as this priest capable of pronouncing him clean in body to restore him into fellowship with others, but also in soul to restore him into fellowship with God. As Mitch Holtus would say, that's huge, right? Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes we forget that we're the wretches that that song is talking about. No matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter how far along this path of following Jesus you are, or maybe you haven't even begun that, you still need Jesus and you still need him every day. But the good news is he's waiting for us to turn, right? For that whoop. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And it's a good thing, isn't it? I need that. You need that. So that's the first reason. The second reason that we have to be grateful is this. Our lives have been renewed. When we turn to Jesus, it's not just about restoration. It's about resurrection. It's not just fixing the problems and kind of getting things back to a passable state. It's like a change. It's a transformation. When we turn to Jesus, it's not just restoring something. It's resurrecting it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Imagine the sorts of stories that this Samaritan dude would be telling people. Like, imagine it. I mean, do you keep quiet about that? I mean, you show up at the family picnic thinking about, Larry, where have you been, man? Dude, last time I saw you, you didn't have a nose. What is going on? Oh, you wouldn't even believe it, man. Like I was living out in the camp with all the guys and the girls that were out there because, you know, we were lepers and stuff. It's like, wait, wait, you had leprosy? What? Hold on, I'm going to scoot over here. <laughs> okay, tell your story. Go ahead. No, seriously, I'm healed, man. You would not believe what happened. So Jesus was walking by. And we just yelled, hey, man, hey, have mercy on us. He said, listen, go show yourself to the priest because you're healed. He didn't even touch us. Would you keep that quiet? 
I mean, even the people that Jesus told to keep quiet were really bad at it, okay? It's like, listen, okay, this is on the down low. I'm going to heal you, but I need you to not talk about this, okay? Whatever. We don't know the path that he followed after this, but I think it's a safe guess that everything changed for him after this moment. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Like the Samaritan, the blood of Christ means this clean slate. It's a fresh start but it also brings us into fellowship with others. And I'm telling you guys, that's something that every one of these folks would have craved. I mean, have you ever wondered why there were nine Jews and one Samaritan together? It's because they all had something in common. They were dying from leprosy. We're brought into fellowship. We're cleansed. We become brothers and sisters. We become his children. It's a huge gift. We're righteous through Messiah and our lives have been renewed. And so our response should be thankfulness. And I think that's pretty obvious. We're no different from the lepers in this story. We have this choice, right? We can continue to go about, we can like accept the gift and just kind of go about our lives for those of you that are Christians in this room or that can hear my voice. Because that's what we do a lot, right? Thank you, Jesus. I'm safe from hell. And now I'm going to keep living like I'm not. Like, I don't know, right? We do that. We do. Or we just keep going. And we don't really stop to think about this thing that we've been given. We can accept the gift and we can go about our lives as normal. Or we can live these lives of worship that we've been talking about. We acknowledge the healer, right? And we accept this greater gift of being truly healed in our souls. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16 says, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, this is the coolest verse to me, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So in other words, as this ripple effect starts to happen, more and more people come to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and that if they jump in on that deal, that it is transformational. It continues to ripple and it continues to extend beyond and it increases in thanksgiving, worship, praise, right? All that stuff. And then 16 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. What does that remind you of? A leper, right? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In other words, hey, we're not getting any younger. None of us. But guess what? Our spirits are alive, our spirits are vibrant, and they are as brand new as they were the first day that we met Jesus. And that's something to be thankful for. That's something to worship God for. That's something to share with other people. So in those moments where we want to lose heart, where we are discouraged, he's like, listen, you have nothing to be discouraged about. Again, I said it last week, worship, it's loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's pretty much everything you've got. And that goes hand in hand with loving our neighbors. Jesus makes no distinction. Those two things combined are like it. That's our mission. That's our goal. 
And when we live lives saturated in worship and in gratitude, we make Jesus known to this world. I mean, we're talking about a world whose experiences with Jesus, their only experience with Jesus, maybe he's in a Doobie Brothers song. <laughs> Jesus is just all right with me, right? Which isn't bad. I mean, Michael McDonald wasn't involved, but it's still not bad. But we're talking about this world. Their only experiences with God might be through media, and we know how that goes, right? Or maybe through satire and parody and the things that they see animated on television. Or maybe their only experience with Jesus is through the loudest voices that they hear in this world. Think about that one for just a second. Uh-huh. Or maybe their only experience with Jesus is through conspiracy theorists and debunkers. Did you know that Jesus' mom wasn't named Mary at all? It was actually Miriam, which is the same. <laughs> Some of you were stuck. You're like, was that true? <laughs> yes, she was Hebrew. Anyway, maybe this world, their only experience with Jesus is some guy who has a blog and is really angry about something that happened to him in his past. Maybe their only experience and what they hear about God is through a world full of people who've never opened a Bible. This is what's out there. That's just a few. I mean, we could go on. But our response to what we've been given should be thankfulness. That's what we should look like. That's the character of taking off the old and putting on the new. And sometimes it helps to do that physical activity. You know, go ahead and get dressed in the morning and then put on your pretend Jesus cloak, right? Okay, covering myself. Here I go. I'm thankful. It's all good. Listen, I'm not talking about faking it because we have so much to be thankful for even when things are not necessarily good. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than leprosy. Here's a quote. It's from Billy Graham. It's kind of the bomb in my opinion. We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. Again, you're talking about a planet of people who may not be opening the Bible on their own, but they know that you open yours. So they're looking at your lives and they're looking at my life to see, okay, how is this supposed to look? As Christians, we're grafted into God's plan through Jesus, so we have every reason in the world to be grateful. It's a gift. Because Jesus has saved us and our lives are renewed, so thankful praise should be the result of that. Would you guys bow your hearts with me? Father God, we love you, and I'm so thankful for you and for your son and just the gift that you've given us. And God, just being honest, it's so easy to take those things for granted when life hits us, when things are hard, when we're going through trials. So God, I pray today that you just gently remind us of that and that uh, you provide opportunities for each one of us to express uh, that thankfulness in our lives in ways that uh, aren't insincere for us, God, but in ways that are honest and genuine. 
that we would have the same excitement for you as we do about the other things in our lives that we get excited about. Jesus, I thank you for working miracles in my life and in our lives as we respond to you with a heart of gratitude. And right now, I just pray for anyone that can hear my voice, those that might be struggling in relationships, struggling with doubt, struggling with fears, struggling with uh, physical or mental infirmities, sickness, depression, past hurts, relationships that they wish were different. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch every one of those situations. We know that we serve a God who is powerful, that if he can just speak to leprosy and it leaves bodies, that you right now, God, can help in each of these situations. So I just speak that now, that blessing in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we go into this next week that you would just continue to remind us of your goodness and how blessed we are in the smallest ways and in the biggest ways. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So two things. The first thing is this. Uh, if what I talked about today, especially in regards to Jesus, maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and started to follow him. Or maybe you did a long time ago and that's kind of, I don't know, worn off or maybe you're not where you'd like to be with that. Let me just say that today you can jump like right on that path. Uh, and it's a simple it's a simple prayer. You can pray that with one of us if you want, or you can pray that on your own, but it's as simply as Jesus, listen, I know that uh, I've sinned. I know that I've made decisions that are selfish, that were about me instead of following God, but now I want to live differently. Please forgive me for those things. I want to follow you. It's that easy. And then it's just day by day chasing after him. And listen, every person in this room that's a Christian, we mess up, right? Probably more than once a day. But it's not the messing up, it's the getting up and continuing to follow him that matters. So wherever you're at with him today, you can be just like these guys, you can be right with him. So if you have questions about that, please come talk to me, Pastor John, um, any of the folks that you've seen on the worship team, anyone that you've seen the soundboard. I mean, literally, you could probably ask anyone. And if they don't have the answer, they would know uh, who to talk to. And then here's the second thing. I want you to think about this as you go into the next week and you're pondering the things that you're thankful for. Do you think that maybe, how can I say this? I believe as Christians, it's time for us to surrender the entitlement that we have, uh, the right to be right all the time. Because I think that's gonna be the key to cultivating this heart of thankfulness that God wants us to have inside of us. And so if we're always walking around pointing at the things that we think are wrong, a heart of thankfulness is not going to result from that. So how can we surrender that stuff this week to cultivate these hearts of thankfulness that God wants in us? So think about that, pray about that. And listen, I love you guys. Thank you for being here today and thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, if you're new, 
I'd love to meet you afterwards. We'll be around, so that'd be great. Have a great week.